Um, well, welcome. Thanks for coming. So glad you guys are here. Um, how many of you guys have enjoyed uh, Pastor Clark's series that he did on the GPS, God's GPS, right? I thought, I thought it was phenomenal. I will say, if anything, it's caused you to think, right? It's caused you to think. I mean, I've heard so many different people, man, it's, it's mind-blowing. And I think that's what he's really good at is like we create these boxes in our life and he's really good at removing the boxes and exposing what we've, where we're at, right? Um, I used to have a, a pastor out in Arizona and he used to always say, um, if you believe anything that I say because I said it, you're a fool, right? And I think what he meant by that is like think, like think about what you think about. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, so... I love specifically the message on the, uh, the tabernacle. Do you guys remember that one? Um, and I don't know if you heard, but he was differentiating at one point the difference between the tabernacle and the temple. Did you guys know those were different? I don't know. That's something I, I was learning, too, that those are two different things. Um, but speaking of temples, speaking of temples, I'm going to have a couple people come up, and we're going to play a game real quick. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, come on up. Come on up. We're going to play a little bit of, uh, so how many of you guys have played the game Mad Gab? Anybody ever played the game Mad Gab? Anybody, any hands in here? I don't see Mad Gab, right? Okay, there we go. Um, so Mad Gab is kind of, let me just explain it to you. Mad Gab is kind of where there's a, a word that doesn't really make any sense. And um, so we have Sherlock and Watson or whichever one, Watson and Sherlock. Um, but they're going to try and figure out what the other person is saying, and you're going to be the reader, and you're going to be the interpreter, right? Okay? <laughs> so go ahead and grab a mic. Grab a mic. All right. I'm going to let you hold it. Okay. And when the music starts, you go, ahead and, you go ahead and start. Here we go. There we All go. Right, here we okay. go. Okay, you got to listen. Key, pits, imp, pills, to pet. Key, pits, imp, pills, to pet. That's pretty good. Oh, is it up there? Yep. <laughs> Nobody can help him. Nobody nope. can help him. Try it again, Ryan. All right. Key. Keep it simple. Yeah. No, well, no. You're missing the <laughs> rest of it. The missing the end. Let's do it again. Oh, oh, okay. Keep Key it simple. Pills to pet. Keep it simple. Stupid. <laughs> Give it up. Yeah. Yep, she Give got it up. It. Really? Did you get it? Yeah. Did you get it? Keep it simple. Stupid. Yes. That's it. Oh. That's it. <laughs> All right. Give him a hand. Give him a hand clap, y'all. Thank you. That was good. Hey, you guys weren't supposed to help, you know, but that's okay. I wanted it to not go too long, so <laughs> would have been kind of embarrassing. Uh, um, I, I just want to tell you a brief summary about that exact Mad Gab. So I was playing with some friends out in Arizona, and this was a super competitive couple, and the husband was kind of composed, and the wife was very expressive, um, but... They, you had to read a husband and wife like that. And the phrase he kept saying was, keep it temple tupid, right? And she'd say, what? She's from California. What? And he'd say it louder, keep it temple tupid, right? And then she'd go, what? And then one more time, he, he literally stood up and was screaming, keep it 
temple to bed, right? And then she goes off to the bathroom, and he slept on the couch for about three weeks. But um, really, uh, I say that story about keeping it temple tupid um, because um, what I love about grace is it's actually so simple. How many of you guys have ever heard or read something about God that sounded kind of confusing, right? Like, it sounded like mad gab. Like, it, you just didn't understand what they, were, what they were saying when they said it. And see, religion makes things complicated. Law makes things complicated. But grace simplifies things. I'm going to move these because they're bothering me, okay? But grace makes things simple. It simplifies things. Um, how many of you guys like Sherlock Holmes? Anybody like Sherlock Holmes? I mean, every time there's like a movie or a show about Sherlock, we kind of like go crazy. Like we binge it. At least I do, and Ruthie comes along. Um, but uh, recently somebody got us into the show Elementary, and I'm not promoing the show. I'm just letting you know we got into it. And um, we, we have watched almost all the episodes. We made it through most of the seasons. Um, but we love it. And I always love, um, you know, kind of when they're, when they're talking um, because that um, Sherlock, whenever he's on to something, right, or he's talking to, to Watson, who's the doctor, and he wants um, the doctor to kind of simplify things, the saying that he always says, if you guys remember with his English accent, which I'm not even going to try, but he always says, um, it's elementary, my dear Watson, right? He always says, it's elementary, my dear Watson, and Sherlock always said that because he believed something was easy to solve, right? And the reason I love grace is because it's elementary. It's actually elementary. Today, I want to give you three reasons why grace is elementary or it helps us and it makes things easy to solve. So the number one reason why grace helps, helps us is it, it helps us to connect all the dots, Right? How many of you guys, uh, when you were kids, because we don't do it now, I'm sure, but when you were kids, you did the connect the dots, right? Usually it's like a butterfly. Do we have the butterfly up there? You got it. There we go. But usually it's a butterfly or something like that, right? And it's just super simple. Like it's just one, two, three, four. And as long as you follow the dots, I mean, you are phenomenal. I mean, you're Michelangelo. Like you can draw anything. Like, even if you can't draw, if you follow the dots, that's the way to go. There's actually a world record holder. Let me see if we can show that. The world record holder, okay, uh, actually connected, his name is Phil Hansen, and he connected 52,901 dots. Okay, I don't know if that means that, like, he's, he, it was 52,900, and he's like, I'm just going to add one and beat the guy before me. Um, but this, this painting is called the North American Indian. And I don't know if he's a good artist, I don't know how good he is, but what I do know is he knew how to connect the dots, okay? Um, and now, whenever I did connect the dots, for some reason, I got really bored. Did anybody get bored with connecting the dots? And I don't know, I just always was like, why do we have to follow this, like, one, two, three, four? Like, let's just go places, right? Like, let's go somewhere with this thing. And usually when I did that, it turned out kind of looking like this, <laughs> right? I don't know why, and it's frustrating. But it never really turned out looking right. Um, never it never turned out how it was supposed to. And I've, I've heard people say, right, um, over the years, Matt, I am a red letters guy. 
Anybody ever heard somebody say that? I'm a red letters guy, man. Like, I love the red letters, right? Uh, I remember I was at a Bible study one time, and uh, this older gentleman was like, we have to live by the words of Jesus. And I was like, yes, that sounds amazing, right? I want to be spiritual. I want to live by those words. Um, but over the years, I've read the words of Jesus, and I don't know if you've ever read them, and, I, and to myself, I think, I don't know if they read the words of Jesus, because Jesus, when he, when he talks, he usually wasn't talking to the nicest of people. He was usually talking to the religious people, and he was helping them with their thoughts. Um, and let me, let me give you a couple examples, right? Um, these are a few things he would say to him. So we're going to go through Matthew 5. I'm skipping around a little bit, but I think we have it all on here. So it's Matthew 5. We're going to read 21 through 22. And here, this is Jesus talking. He said, you have heard it was said to our people long ago, right? Like you've heard the law, you know it. This is who he's talking to is the Pharisees. He said, you must not murder anyone. Any person who commits murder will be judged. And then Jesus says, but I tell you, don't be angry with anyone right? So, okay, if this was modern day, Jesus is saying, look, you're not allowed to get on I-4 anymore and drive at all because you're not allowed to get angry. Like, once you get that Starbucks cup of coffee and it's the wrong cup, you're not allowed to really go to Starbucks anymore because you, you're not allowed to get angry, right? You're not allowed to, like, or if it was back then, like, if somebody got your camel mixed up with the donkey, you're not allowed to get upset about it, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 31 he, and he's stepping it up again. It says, it was also said, any man who divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. And then he says, but I tell you. So here he is again. He's saying, this is what you've heard. Now I'm stepping it up even further. Okay. Then verse 43, he said, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who treat you badly. Like, here, here's what he's doing. Like he, see, Jesus knew that who he was talking to and the audience that he was talking to, and they were really good at making things seem like it was okay on the outside, like they were really spiritual on the inside. But he knew their hearts, and he's talking about issues of the heart. Jesus was constantly setting the bar higher so that the religious people couldn't reach for it themselves. He was over and over again showing them that they will never be able to live out the law in the flesh. And I love this next verse. We're going to skip down to verse 48. And this is really like in the King James, um, it's, it says, therefore. And if you, anytime you ever see the word therefore, it's kind of like he's summing up all of what he just said, right? Verse 48, he says, what I am saying is that you must be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect, right? And to me, this is the mic drop moment, right? This is like he's, he's, he's going through a laundry list of things. And I think the Pharisees, like, if you can kind of picture them, they're like, oh, you know, I think I could love my enemy a little bit better, you know, and, oh, you know, like, I could maybe not get so angry. I'm pretty sure I could do this, you know. Um, and Jesus, I, I, I feel like he kind of knew that they were doing that. And he's like, fine. He's like, fine. Go ahead and be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, if that's what you think you can do. It's kind of like when the kids, I don't know if you guys ever had this experience, but if you have some candy on the counter and the kids are, like, trying to reach for the candy, right? They're just constantly reaching. And the, uh, 
And then the parent, usually, I mean, I wouldn't do this, but the parent walks over, and they see the kid reaching for the candy, and they've already asked, like, stop reaching for the candy, stop reaching for the candy, stop reaching for the candy. And the kids just keep, what do they keep doing? They keep reaching for that candy. The parent walks over, and they grab the bag, and they walk over, and they throw it on the fridge, on top of the fridge, or they put it in the cupboard, and they turn around like, I told you to stop touching touching the candy, right? And that's how this moment is with Jesus and the Pharisees, is he's like, okay, you think you can do all these things? Tell you what, go ahead and be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, was Jesus trying to get rid of the law? Was he trying to get rid of the law, y'all? Matthew 5, 17 through 18, it says, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one iota. You guys remember the iota word from last time? Not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so here's what I'll say. If you want to try and live according to the teachings of Jesus pre-cross, okay, pre-cross, or the red letters, if you will, the dots will never connect, right? You'll never be able to see the masterpiece that God wants you to see. It will always be scribble-scrabble, right? It'll always be like the scribble-scrabble, like I was talking about. You're not connecting the dots properly, so it's always going to look like scribble-scrabble. Or like mad gap. You'll be hearing all these words, but it'll seem confusing because you're not able to put all the pieces in the right place. Um, It will be, um, if you try to live by the standards of Jesus, you're getting the cart before the horse. You guys ever heard that? You're getting the cart before the horse. Or you're crying before you're hurt, right? You're barking and you can't bite. That's my wife. Uh, You're counting on chickens before they hatch. In other words, there is an order to things. Skip down to John 19.30. It says, after Yeshua had finished the wine, he said, it is accomplished, right? And letting his head droop, he delivered up his spirit. And just like Clark said in his message the other day, there is a seamless line from Genesis to Revelation that doesn't take away from the law, but it points to Jesus, right? And if you follow it, the dots, right, if you follow all of them, everything will connect, and the picture that God was trying to paint will all make sense. So number one, grace is elementary because it helps you connect all the dots. The second reason grace is elementary or easy to solve is because, number two, grace helps give you the art of deduction, right? Grace helps to give us the art of deduction. Sherlock was a master at deducing things. I don't know if you guys remember some of the sayings that he would say, but he would sometimes, like, if he walks into a room and the police are just kind of like, they're confused, right? They're like, you know, they're still writing stuff and they're, they're, they're confused. And Sherlock walks into a room and he has it all figured out. And he basically says, he says, you see, but you do not observe, right? He said, you see, but you don't observe. And I feel like that would be Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Like, you're seeing and you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not observing what I'm saying, right? And I used to think massive consumption of the Bible was the way to go. Anybody like me in here like that? Like, I used to think, man, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to study, right? I knew a guy um, when I was 17. We worked at Walmart together. God bless Walmart, right? But we worked at Walmart together, and I remember pushing carts with this guy. He was probably 50. I think I was 17. And I remember he could quote um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John verbatim. 
Like he had all the gospels memorized. I'm talking King James, the these and thous, the is and the isn't, all those little, little bitty things. He had them memorized. And then I'd be like, hey, like, so what's that mean? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, all right, I gotcha. Um, and I remember, right, uh, running across 2 Timothy 2.15, And it says, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God, who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? I used to, to, and I had studied that scripture, like I loved that scripture, right? And see, I thought, well, if all I have to do is to study to make myself approved to God, right, if that's all I have to do, well, man, I'm going to get on the bandwagon. Like, I'm getting on this thing, and I'm going to go all the way with what it's saying to do. I'm going to study to show myself approved to God. Um, I want to be like Jesus. I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but I want to be like Jesus um, when he's in the River Jordan with um, John the Baptist, and he comes up from the water, and the skies split, and the dove lands on his shoulder, and you hear the heavens say to, to John the Baptist, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased or in whom I approve, right? I want to be like that. And if all I have to do is study to show myself a fruit, well, by God, I am going to study, right? Um, But what's so interesting is the more I would study, especially not knowing God's grace, the harder living for God seemed to be. The more I was studying to show myself approved, the more complicated I thought God was. See, religion makes things complicated, right? Religion doesn't connect the dots. Grace makes sense. And what's so interesting is the very scripture I was using as a rule of thumb became one of the many catalysts to set me free. Um, All you have to do is to deduce the scripture, and it makes sense. Study to show yourself, yourself approved, right? Not to show God you're approved. Why would we need to show God that we're approved? We're the approvee. I know that's not a real word, but we're the approvee. He's the approver, amen? Um, So why would Paul tell Timothy to study? Why would he tell him to study if if that's not what we're supposed to do? The word study in the Greek means to ponder, It means to chew over. It means to kick around. Like I literally can picture somebody kicking around a scripture, right? Kick around, to meditate, to mull over, to think about over and over and over again, to wrestle with, right? And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, isn't, you know, I hear people say, "Um, isn't there so much more than the Bible than grace? You guys ever heard anybody say that? Like, oh, man, there's, got, there's so much more than grace. You guys talk about grace all the time, man. I'm tired of hearing about that. Like all you do is talk about grace, right? Um, yes, but Paul told Timothy to ponder this approval thing, right? He told him to ponder it. He told him to study on it. He told him to kick it around and think about it. Why? Because we naturally are not going to think that God approves of us. Why? Because we naturally are not going to believe that God's grace was sufficient. The second part of that verse I used to use in kind of a legalistic way, um, and it's actually another great key of the art of deduction when it comes to spiritual things. It's, it's the last part of that verse where it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? See, the word deduction means to arrive at a fact or conclusion by reasoning, to draw a logical conclusion. Sherlock says, you see, but you do not observe, or you read, but you do not divide correctly. This is a key to helping us rightly divide the word and understand the difference between law and grace, to provide and and separate the difference between the old covenant, which was pointing to Jesus' work on the cross, and the new covenant, which is where we live now as believers. 
If we keep the two on the right side, we won't intermingle. We won't draw outside of the dots, right? Them and get all confused. We'll make sense of what we're reading scripture. So the reason why grace is elementary is it connects all the dots. Number two, grace is elementary because it gives us the art of deduction. And the third reason grace is elementary is because it eliminates the legwork. It eliminates the legwork. You guys ever heard that term legwork? It's kind of like, a, it's like a, they use it in, in some of the detective type things where, um, you know, it takes so much work to actually figure out a case. Um, but that's what grace does. It actually eliminates that extra legwork. How many of you guys remember the stick shift? Anybody remember the stick shift in here? Right? Like, you know, it's going to be sad when you start talking to your kids one day and you're telling them about a stick shift and they're like, excuse me, what'd you say? Uh, so my first car or truck uh, was a Ford Ranger. I think we have it. A Ford Ranger, 1991. It was red like that. Man, somebody gave that to me. And I thought this was the best thing uh, next to Jesus, all right? Uh, uh, it didn't have air conditioning, so we had rolling the windows down. Like, isn't it funny you tell your kids to roll the windows down? You don't roll your windows down anymore, y'all. I'm just letting you know when you tell them that, it's pushing the windows down, okay? You don't roll them down. And the kids never really ask those questions, so take some time for them. But I would roll the windows down, and um, the interior, I think we have the interior. The interior was red seats with red on the thing, that's probably like, that's probably worth something these days. You know what I mean? That's probably, probably worth something. It had a stick shift and I loved it. I took that thing everywhere. I literally drove that thing into the ground, okay? Um, but I remember learning, you know, I learned on a stick shift before I had that vehicle. And so when I got it, I was already good to go. But I will tell you that sometimes I would get tired of a stick shift, right? Like you just kind of, you're getting tired of moving your leg and doing all that. And sometimes I'd go through the drive-through like, you know, get some, some kind of fast food, and I'd get the big 44-ounce, right, drink, and I'd think, like, man, this is so much work trying to hold, and I'd spill my food all over the place and the, the drinks, and eventually I got, um, I, I was working at Walmart, and eventually I got one of those cup holders that you put in the window. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? I got one of those, and man, I thought, this is luxury. <laughs> I am moving up in the world. What else do you need other than the cup holder? And I put that big old 44 ounce and I worked my way around it, you know what I mean? Like going. Um, but I will tell you, um, I eventually switched over. My next vehicle was a Subaru Legacy, 91 as well, had 300,000. But man, it was an automatic. It was an automatic. And what's funny about it is my foot would still, I don't know if you guys had this experience. It's be floating, like, oh, it's down there somewhere. Or I just stomp on it, and I'm like, nope, that's just the floor, okay? And, and my hand always had to sit right here, right? Even if there was no shifter, it's just laying there. Like, what are you doing, right? I'd go to put it in, like, two or whatever when you drop it down. I'm like, no, that's supposed to be just automatic. What am I doing? Um, but what's so interesting is I would take a lot of the habits from the old vehicle and take them into the new vehicle, right? Um, I wasn't differentiating the difference. Um, sometimes, because we work for everything in life, we think, well, sure, I'm supposed to work for God's approval in some way. But when we do that, we really are just carrying the work from the old life into the new. See, grace is elementary because it takes the legwork, literally the legwork, out of finding out where you are with God. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 11, 28 
through 30. We're going to read Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Um, this is Jesus talking. I love this. He said, are you weary, right, carrying a heavy burden? Are you weary and carrying a heavy burden? Come to me, and I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me, for all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Um, It says grace is God's ability. It empowers you to focus your efforts on the things you need so you won't be so lost and easily distracted. And things he, he isn't concerned with, right? He's not concerned with all the things that we're concerned about, right? Um, we can try so hard in our human effort to make sure we're keeping up with our laundry list of Christian dues that we lose sight of what he's actually trying to set our attention on, which is him. If living for God isn't easy, you might be working more than you should. That's interesting, right? If living for God, if just living for God isn't easy, you might be working more than you should. The opposite is true as well. If living for God is exhausting, you might be doing too much. Um, I remember like, so we helped start a church out in Arizona. Um, we, were, we helped with the youth and stuff. And uh, I remember when I was, you know, like probably the first year in teaching, um, and I, I kept reading my Bible, and I was like, man, I was like, these kids aren't listening to me. They're not doing anything I'm saying. I'm telling them everything they're supposed to do in their life, and they just don't care, right? So uh, we had studied righteousness in Bible school, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them righteousness, right? I'm going to teach them how to live right for God, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach them, because they're not listening to me, so maybe God can tell them something. And so I started reading Romans, and as I'm reading Romans, I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it literally says that if we believe in Jesus, that we've been made right with him. And I, and I remember kind of just dialoguing with my wife and just thinking, like, this is, like, wild. Like, there's nothing that we have to do to become right with him already. Like, once we believe, we're right. We have been made right. And I was like, this is getting kind of scary. But every time I would read, like, I went through five, six, seven, and 8, And over and over again, you hear Paul saying, does grace abound so that sin can abound? And it would say, God forbid. Does grace abound so that sin can abound? God forbid. Does grace abound so that sin can abound? God forbid. Over and over and over. And I'm like, okay. So he he didn't provide this grace so that we can just go out and do whatever. No, he provided it so that we can overcome, right? And it also takes our attention and it shifts our attention to the proper things, which is him. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, maybe, maybe instead of like going in there and telling them all the things that they're doing wrong, maybe I should just start telling them how right they are with God. And I remember, this is before we knew about grace, this is before we knew anything. And I remember Ruthie saying, you should do that because like, what else do you have to lose? Like, they're not listening to you anyways, <laughs> which was a good point. And, and so 
I started going in, and I remember, like, I remember the first week, I didn't, I didn't have any books. I just had the Bible, and I'm like, just start taking through, and I'm like, talking about things like, you've been awakened unto righteousness. And I would say scriptures like, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I would tell them that, and I could see the light in their eyes. I could see them light up, and I could see the strength in them, and you could feel the same type of, and it was setting me free as I'm telling them how right they are with God. And it really started us on a journey to grace. It made sense. It was, it was helping me to connect the dot. I was skipping and thinking, well, if I can just tell them how to be right, not realizing that they already were right, I was skipping ahead, right? Um... I could see all the weights fall off of them, all the struggles they were having. And you know what's so interesting? They started overcoming those things that they were already struggling with. Why? Because we were realizing the legwork had been taken out. That it wasn't anymore about what we could do for him. It was about what he did for us. And, and here's what I'll say today. Don't keep pushing the pedal that's not there, y'all. Don't keep searching for that pedal. Stop looking for the shifter right? Lean on God and lean, don't lean on your own understanding, your intellect, lean on him. He put this thing in automatic for us. We're not making ourselves right. He made us right. Grace is elementary because it connects all the dots. It gives us the art of deduction and it takes all the legwork out of it. Are you tired of working so hard? Are you tired of striving for God's approval? Chill out. Start thinking and thinking about how much God approves of you. I don't know if you guys ever heard the phrase when, when Sherlock was talking to and something new would happen. He would always say, the game is afoot. You guys remember that phrase? He would always say, the game is afoot. And Sherlock used to say this when something exciting was about to happen, right? Grace makes living for God exciting. It makes it an open adventure. It sets our attention on him and who he is and how right he's made us rather than what all the things we have to do for him. I'm not saying that there's not stuff to do for him. I'm just saying if that's all your focus is, you'll get burned out and you'll get tired and you'll get worn out and you'll give up. But if you focus it on him and how much he's done for you, all those things that you are trying to do will seem to work themselves out, right? If living for God doesn't seem easy, we might be doing more work than necessary. Let me pray for you guys, okay? Father, we thank you, God, for everybody that's in here. Um, we just ask, God, that you have spoken to us in different ways, God, that you have taken the work out. You have taken the legwork out, God. You have done it. You accomplished it, God. It's not about what we could do for you. It's about what you did for us. And so we trust you with that this week. I thank you, God, for speaking to us as we go. I thank you, God, for your supernatural protection and wisdom in our lives and what you're going to do with us and through us this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. Amen.